Tonight's reading is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, and that's on page 1196. 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 26. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed, in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Mary, thank you so much for for reading our passage. Good evening. Can you hear me? Am I on? Yeah? Good. Hey, those of you here this morning and you came tonight, I'm very encouraged that you came. Thank you. Let me, let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have tonight to hear you speak to us. Uh, we pray that you give us attentive, attentive hearts and we pray that we would... Um, Come to see the importance of these, these verses for, for us as a church. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What sort of ministers should churches aim to have? What sort of ministers should churches aim to have? In his book, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals, John Piper speaks about how pastors often face pressure to be more professional in how they do ministry. 
So he mentions, for example, how pastors are often expected to be able to uh, communicate with the humor of a subtle comedian or to be able to lead like a, a bit like a CEO. But he raises the question, where do we see these traits emphasized in God's word? And it's a good question. Does a pastor really need to be able to lead uh, like the CEO of Tesco or of uh, Taylor Wimpy? Does a pastor really need to be able uh, to make you laugh like Alan Davies? Maybe not like Ricky Gervais, that would be a bit too much. But someone a bit subtle. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, it's important for a pastor to be able to lead well. And there's nothing wrong with being able to, to make the odd joke. But have many sound churches maybe come to value some of these qualities a bit too much, a bit more than the Bible warrants. When we as a church put out uh, adverts for ministry positions, uh, what should we put in the, um, the ideal candidate will be section? What are the essential qualities those in, in church ministry must have? What, what are some of the non-negotiables? I think our passage this evening uh, will help us think through some of these questions. Recently in 2 Timothy, uh, we've seen Paul stress the importance of the church guarding the gospel. How? By trusting it to reliable people who will teach it to others. We saw how the way to safeguard the gospel is not by keeping it to ourselves, but by passing it on to people who will then themselves pass it on to others. Having ministers who can faithfully teach the gospel is crucial for the church. The church needs gospel spreaders. Now, last week, we saw that gospel teachers need to be willing to suffer for, the, for teaching the gospel. If they're not willing to suffer, then they shouldn't be in ministry. Tonight, we learn a few more essential traits of those involved in teaching God's word. Our question this evening is this. What should we look out for in those engaged in ministry? What should we look out for in those engaged in ministry? And this isn't only in a senior pastor. Anyone who's involved in sort of teaching the Bible in any way, I think this passage helps us. You might have noticed during the reading uh, what Paul says to Timothy in verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker. What does Timothy need to be? He needs to be an approved worker. You get a similar idea there in verse 24 as well. And the Lord's servant, approved worker, servant, the Lord's servant must be dot, dot, dot. Must not be, sorry, dot, 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 but must be dot, dot, dot. So in our passage, we have the description of what it looks like to serve the Lord in ministry. We have the description of an approved worker. This is the type um, of person uh, Timothy is to be, and it's the type of people he is to look out for as he tries to recruit others to teach the gospel. So what is an approved worker? What should we look out for in those in Christian ministry? And our first point is this. An approved worker teaches the gospel and avoids speculations. Let's read from verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. 
warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. And they destroy the faith of some. As the heading uh, of our first point suggests, there are two main ideas in these verses. The first is that a gospel minister, a church minister, must teach the gospel. Now, verse 14, I think, has been translated uh, somewhat unhelpfully. So in the original, the word isn't, uh, the word for warn isn't an imperative, but a participle. So verse 14 would, ra- would read better like this. Keep reminding God's people of these things, warning them. Warning them. You see, so the emphasis is on the reminding. The warning is just a part of the reminding. Now, what is a minister to remind God's people of? It's the gospel. I think verse 14 is pointing back to what Paul said previously, especially in verses 8 to 13. Those verses describe the gospel. They they describe the future in light of Jesus. You see, depending on our response to Jesus, we'll either live and reign with him, or we will be disowned by him. So last week, we learned that it is the gospel of salvation that keeps a minister going in ministry. It's the gospel that enables a worker to be willing to suffer in their ministry. But not only does the gospel sustain a minister, the gospel is also what a minister must teach. In verse 15, Paul says that an approved worker, one who doesn't need to be ashamed of his ministry, is one who correctly handles the word of truth. In the Greek, correctly handles is literally cut straight. It's evocative of manual labor, perhaps of a, of a carpenter and their saw. The carpenter needs to be focused to cut in a straight line. They mustn't be distracted by other things. If they are, they might even produce crooked or uneven pieces of wood. You see, by cutting straight, Timothy will be unlike those who've drifted from the gospel. In verse 17, Paul says that Hymenaeus and Philetus have departed from the truth. Again, that departing in the original means to to deviate or swerve. The ESV translates it as the having swerved from the truth. You see, they've gone off peace. They, they haven't been cutting straight. They've done the opposite of cutting straight. A gospel minister has to cut straight. They must teach God's word accurately and faithfully, and they have to be committed to this. You see, if they're not dedicated to faithfully teaching the gospel, then they might jeopardize their own faith and, that, and also that of others. 
Hymenaeus and Philetus is swerving from the gospel, it hasn't only impacted them. Paul says it's also destroyed the faith of others. There are massive consequences to not cutting straight. People's spiritual well-being is at stake. Now, how do ministers end up doing a Hymenaeus or Philetus? How do they end up shipwrecking their faith? By taking their eyes off the ball. And by that I mean by taking their eyes off the gospel. They get distracted. This is why Paul says, don't quarrel about words and avoid godless chatter. It's so easy to to get into all sorts of theological debates and speculations. Now, some debates, of course, some theological debates are important. I I don't think this is a wholesale ban on debating or discussing theological issues. Rather, I think the problem is when ministers allow uh, speculations to dominate their headspace. They start indulging in speculations rather than focusing on the gospel. That's where things go awry. I think Hymenaeus and Philetus, they're probably starting to enjoy controversial debates a bit too much. So, So their minds ended up getting filled with theories and ideas that actually contradicted the gospel. What does the gospel teach? It teaches that the resurrection of believers is a future reality. Our bodies will be physically raised when Jesus returns. But Hymenaeus and Philetus, they've come to reject this core gospel truth. They came to believe that the resurrection isn't a future physical reality, but merely a spiritual one that happens in the here and now. And as they rejected that future aspect of the resurrection, they also rejected the gospel. You can't claim to believe the gospel if you don't believe in the future resurrection. It's a core tenet of the gospel of Jesus. So how did Hymenaeus and Philetus get to the point where they've departed from the gospel. Maybe, maybe at first, they simply wanted to argue uh, against those who were teaching and uh, that the resurrection isn't in the future. Maybe they wanted to prove them wrong. Or maybe they even just wanted to, to correct them. But as they try to do that, throughout that process, over weeks or months or even years, they became increasingly fascinated by the speculation that the resurrection isn't in the future. And eventually, they came to believe it themselves. And the trouble now is, of course, they're believing in something that isn't the gospel, but is merely speculation. Now, this isn't just for pastors, by the way, because it says... Uh, keep reminding God's people of these things, warning them. So calling about words, this isn't just for pastors, this is for the whole church. How do we apply this today? I think maybe one way, um, I think it's a challenge to us 
not to get into debates on Facebook or Twitter. You're never going to win a, an argument on social media. It's going to be an endless back and forth. And just when you think the argument is over and you've, you've sent in like 30 comments to a post, you open up your Facebook app and again, there's a fresh notification. Someone has just replied to your last comment. So you read the comment and, think to yourself, and you think to yourself, that's nonsense. I need to reply to that. And the cycle restarts. I've been there. Much better just not to get into that godless chatter. Our time is limited. So let's use it well. Let's use it to, to, to get to know God's word better. This will enable us to be able to, to continue to accurately teach it, to cut straight, and to understand it. Now, I suspect that Timothy is going to be quite disappointed that people like Hymenaeus and Philetus, not only have they turned away, they're turning others away from the faith. It's tremendously discouraging. People who were once on your team, you thought were reliable, once proclaiming the gospel, or now not believing it, and also turning other people away from it. How does Paul encourage Timothy? Well, as an approved worker, he is to focus on teaching the gospel and avoid speculations. But he is also to trust God that God will rescue those who belong to him. That's our second point. An approved worker trusts God to save his people. Let's read verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. When Timothy is tempted to despair at those who are being won over by false teaching, he needs to remember the truth of verse 19. God knows who his people are. It's impossible for, for them, his elect, to lose their salvation. Now, what does this mean for Timothy? Well, he's not personally responsible for everyone's salvation. God knows who his people are, and he will ensure that they are saved. So Timothy, just keep doing the basics. Teach the gospel, and don't get drawn into speculations and myths. As the gospel is faithfully taught, it will reach those God intends it to reach, and God will save his people even if some people fall away, those who are gods will not fall away. Isn't this immensely liberating? It doesn't mean that it won't be painful when people fall away. Of course it will. But it does mean that you don't have to think that their salvation depends on you. That it depends, for example, on your being able to persuade them back into the kingdom. God will save his people. He knows. 
those who were his. An approved worker is to teach the gospel and avoid speculations, trusting that God will rescue his people. He knows who his people are. Finally, an approved worker must turn away from ungodliness. That's our third point. Let's read from verse 20. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. What does it mean to cleanse yourself from the articles of common use. Paul says that those who do that are those who will be useful to the master, the Lord Jesus. I'll be honest, it's, it's hard to know exactly what's going on here in verses 20 and 21. But I think the cleansing is referring to removing ungodliness from your life. So look at all the things Paul tells Timothy not to do in verses 22 to 26. He says, Flee the evil desires of youth. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And he says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome and must not be resentful. As a servant of Christ, Timothy must turn away from ungodliness. He must cleanse himself of any ungodly behavior. By the way, did you notice how much of the ungodly behavior he is to avoid is speech-related? So Paul mentions arguments, quarrels, not being quarrelsome. Quarrels in the original literally means word fights, word fights. Timothy, don't get into word fights. Remember, that's what Hymenaeus and Philetus got themselves into. And look where it led them. Even the instruction uh, to flee the evil desires of youth, I think, is about speech. Many of us read that and we think, oh, it must be about lust. But there's nothing in the context to suggest that. More likely, Paul is referring to uh, the greater propensity that young people have to get into fights. Of course, this doesn't mean that older people don't fight, but younger people are more likely to fight. Timothy needs to be careful not to get into word fights. Here's what he should do instead. He should be kind to everyone. So even when non-Christians listen to him, oppose his teaching, and try to start a word fight, he is to be gentle. He is to be gentle in how he engages with them and in how he explains the gospel to them. And why is this important? So that they might come to faith. A non-Christian student once went to a Christian union meeting where the speaker was teaching that Jesus is the only way to God. At the end of the talk, the offended student angrily shouted at the speaker in front of everyone, 
embarrassing him. How might the speaker have been tempted to respond? I think it would have been so tempting to, to want to get into a word fight. Instead, the speaker was kind and gracious. And where is, where is that angry student, student today? He's ministering in a church in London. This isn't an anecdote that I've heard. I know this guy. Now imagine if the speaker had responded differently. Who knows what the outcome would have been. But because the speaker uh, reacted in the way that he did, graciously, it spoke volumes to the, to the student as well as to everyone else there. These opponents that Paul is speaking of here, I think they're non-Christians. People who've, particularly non-Christians, who've never confessed Christ as Lord. Timothy is to love them. I do not think these opponents are false teachers. Because as we'll see next week, Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with such people. That's quite a different response, isn't it? We'll think more about that next week. Now, there's another key reason why ministers ought to be kind and gentle. It's because that is what their Lord is like. A servant is to faithfully represent their master. They, They shouldn't only display Christ in their teaching, but also in their way of life. Now, this doesn't mean we must expect ministers to be sinless or perfect. They're not Jesus. But they should be trying to be more and more like Jesus. Listen to how Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, describes Jesus based on what he reveals of himself in Matthew 11. It is Christ's gentle heart that adorns him with beauty. It is Christ's gentle heart that adorns him with beauty. Or put another way, what most deeply attracts us to Christ is his gentle, tender, humble heart. Ministers have a responsibility to to show Christ both in their, in their teaching and in their conduct. As non-Christians hear of Christ and as they see Christ in his servants, they'll be more likely to want to turn to him. God uses his servants to free people from the clutches of the devil. This is how Paul ends our passage What we want is for people to come to know Jesus, to be freed from Satan's tyranny. If you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, I really hope that you will explore Jesus. I hope you will search who he is. Search him, not not on Google, not on Wikipedia. Search him in the scriptures. He is far more beautiful than you can possibly imagine. 
And I, I really hope and pray that you will see something of him in his servants. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much that we have the gospel and that this is what we are to teach. We pray that you would raise up people who will teach it um, in this country and all over the world, uh, who will teach it and not get sucked into speculations. Um, People will teach it, and as they're teaching it, people who will be trusting in you to save your people. You know those who are yours. And Father, we also pray that you'd raise up people who turn away from ungodliness. Help us all to turn away from ungodliness. And we pray that we would point to Christ not only in our words, but also in our living. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.